0: You're listening to the NASM CPT podcast with Rick Ritchie winner of the share care Emmy Award for social storytelling and the official podcast of the National Academy of Sports Medicine.
1: Hey, y'all and welcome to the NASM CPT podcast. My name is Rick Ritchie. And today, I have a special guest with me. And I'm always looking forward to having this person on the show. He's been on on several occasions. And he has been a friend of NASM. He has contributed with writings, with publications, with uh, chapters and textbooks and reviews of chapters and textbooks for the work that we do at NASM. And uh, he's also a friend and colleague that when I first started in in the the gym world. So my first my first gig, I started when I was in 2002, February, 2002, when I first became a trainer. And so um, after about two years, I started teaching exercise science courses. And at the company that we worked for, it was called the Foundations Program. And Foundations is, they took kind of educated personal trainers, or in my case, not as educated personal trainers at the time. And had them teach exercise science to the new incoming trainers. And I know because I've gone through that course and I loved it. Absolutely loved it. And I was happy to be a part of it. So when we started doing it. There was this guy who was in DC and then later moved to Boston and we had clubs in Washington, DC and in Boston that was teaching those workshops as well. And that guy, uh, I got to know him quite a bit throughout the years. Obviously I, I, Even more so just kind of seeing where we're from and where we are now. So it is my joy and my pleasure to welcome a special guest who will be talking to us about Smarter Recovery today because that is the name of
0: his new book. Welcome my guest, Pete McCall. What's up, Pete? Rick, thank you, man. Hey, it's always a pleasure to join you. And to all the NASM listeners out there, thank you for joining us because it really is, as Rick said, I mean, we have a long history together. And every time we get together, it's always fun to talk shop, uh, to talk science, and to talk about how the training, uh, the industry of personal training has evolved. I mean, if you think about it, Rick, we've been doing this for 20 years. And before we get into the interview, and, and I'll, I'll do this shameless promote, before we get into the interview about the book, Smarter Recovery, um, one of the things I want to do is let's let's have just a brief conversation about how personal training has changed over the last 20 years. I mean, as you said, we've been doing this. We've not only been personal training, but we've been educating personal trainers For two decades now, in your in your opinion, what's been the biggest change? What has been the biggest change that you've seen from where you sit in in New York City? Uh, I I think that's a great question.
1: And this is also what happens, ladies and gentlemen, when you bring on a podcast host to interview that you end up becoming the interviewee <laughs> <laughs> it
0: happens it
1: happens every time so pete mccall is also the host of all about fitness podcast and so he can't help himself so here i go i'll answer the question my friend um listen when we first started it was strange to see a foam roller right uh we'd be the weird guys with a foam roller um definitely what you did not see i mean you might see a warm up you might see a cool down some stretches at the end you did not see mobility work you did not see these really cool choreographed uh mobility drills T spine rotations um iron crosses scorpions and then these these kind of locomotion mobility drills where people might be doing you know, unless they were doing sprint work on the track, then you didn't see the the high knees and the butt kicks and the Frankensteins and the A skips and the B skips. But now I feel like like that's really come in vogue. Um, and then also uh, Olympic lifting for general pops. I'm starting to see that a lot more now. Um, and then I would say also the high intensity interval training. That, that was... You know, people. I remember when I first started training. Pete, and may have been uh, the case for you too. But people would say, "I came to you co- for help with resistance training. I don't want to do cardio while I'm here." And you know, I, like it's not like we put people on the treadmill and walk away. But if you want to bang out five hundred meters, a thousand meters, fifty calories, a hundred calories on a ski erg or a Concept Two rower or uh, a, a sled erg, some sort of you know, then These types of quantifications and how we measure and track, I think, have have really entered into the consciousness of the the general trainer and that we now see more high intensity stuff, not just in resistance training, but also adding in the cardio version of resistance and then high intensity cardio into the workout. So I think there's some significant changes that have come into place, but those are kind of like my highlight reel version. See,
0: now I, I think you hit the nail on the head because, and, and the reason why I asked that question, Rick, is because as we've evolved in the last 20 years, I think the personal trainer has gone from giving, giving people a workout for the day, right? I mean, it would be 15, 20 years ago, somebody, I might come into the gym. If you're my trainer and I might say, Hey, how you doing? And you might be like, what do you want to work out today? But now what I've seen is personal trainers have become more like coaches of where they're planning workouts, they're periodizing workouts. We have so much more information. When you and I started 20 years ago, if we wanted to learn something, we had to pick up a textbook. We had to take a live course. We had to travel. We had to pay out of our pocket to take a live course. And we had to learn. We had to look for the information. Now, I think the biggest change we've had is I can go on my phone and within a couple swipes, I can be watching a lecture from one of the top top professors studying, like from Brad Schoenfeld or Andy Galpin out of Cal State Fullerton some of these individuals post lectures up on in their podcast interviews i mean you can now basically get an ms in exercise science by watching youtube and so i think so to your point i think we now see people doing so much more advanced workouts in the gym because we have so much more access to information and that leads us to where where now we understand where 20 years ago if i asked you about recovery you might've said, Hey, dude, do you have a drinking problem? Are you, are you an AA? Nobody really talked about, re- you know, and recovery was really not something we talked about 10, 15, That's even right. 10 years ago, man. And now it's like, if you're in the gym, especially if you're a trainer working with clients over the age of 40, you have to, you have to take into account how, what your, your client's going to do after the workout, because the body right. doesn't change during the workout. The body changes after the workout in the recovery process. That's, that was something I observed a long time ago, which, you know, shameless plug again. That's why I wrote the book, smarter recovery. I mean, for, for people out there, this, just so you know, I've been writing articles for about seven to eight years for various organizations like idea. I wrote a course for NASM on recovery. I've been taking that information over the last, you know, seven, eight years and that all that is compiled into this book. So if you really want to understand how to help, not only help your clients with programs, but help your clients with what they do after the workout. That's why I wrote Smarter Recovery.
1: I love it. And listen, I think you you probably are familiar that uh, I own a recovery business, and uh, my business partner and I, we opened the first comprehensive recovery facility in the world. It was, uh, there were individual modalities that people would have, but I I was working with a few NBA players and I'm listening to some of the cool recovery stuff that they do. And I thought, well, I want to I want to do that, right? Like, I want to recover that way. And then I thought, well, if I want to recover that way, then I'm sure other people do, too. And after a little bit of brainstorming, I opened, uh, along with a business partner, a company called Recover that we opened right down the street from Madison Square Garden in New York City. And we were the first comprehensive recovery. So there were one-offs like go take a, um, a, a cryotherapy chamber but or go to this other place and get an infrared sauna. But we were the first ones that were like, well, I don't want to be a one-off. But can you come here and we do this whole thing? Now, the business, the brick and mortar version of the business closed due to COVID, um, but we still exist. In fact, my my buddy was just in, my business partner was just in Southern California doing one in Sunnyvale. I'm doing one tomorrow uh, in downtown Manhattan. And it's like a corporate events company now where we go in mm-hmm. and we run recovery for people. But the problem is that there's so much information about recovery. Some of it is uh, aggrandized, right? Like it's, let's make a big deal out of not really very much. And then some of it is so focused on the cool tech that we take away from the importance of your diet Right, your nutrition, the amount of sleep that you get, the amount of exercise, like the honestly, and the type of exercise that can be a component of recovery, because we want to plug something in and have something do do something to us. You recover me, not me recover myself. So I'm real interested in hearing your perspective on that.
0: Well, you kind of you're, you're hitting the head on something because with with what you're doing, and I can't remember when I was in your studio because I know I, I was in there. Um, I can't remember if it was 2018 or 2019, Rick, but I mean, you had the, you had the auction chamber, you had the, the pressure chamber, you had the IR sauna. you were really ahead of the curve of seeing that. And what I found fascinating about your business was you are catering, you told me you are catering to more of a Wall Street clientele that really had high levels of stress at work. And, and for any personal trainer out there right now, we really need to understand if, if we are coaching people, if we're having people exercise, we fundamentally have to understand that exercise is physical stress imposed upon the body, right? So exercise is stress imposed upon the body and what, the, how the body responds to that is, is what determines the results. So right now, Rick, you and I are both in homeostasis because we're sitting here and most listeners out there, if you're sitting, if you're commuting to work, if you're in your car or you're walking, whatever you're doing, you're in relative homeostasis because you're not exercising. Now, if you're listening to this while you're exercising, Now you're disrupting homeostasis, which is a natural state of being by adding stress to the body. We have low, moderate and high intensity exercise that are all different levels of stress on the body and really low, moderate intensity exercise. We don't really need to think about what we do after the workout, but if clients are really gonna be working hard, working at high intensity and really pushing themselves, we need to think about, okay, how are we going to mitigate the stress after the workout? And you hit the nail on the head, man. I mean, really it's lifestyle habits like hydration, nutrition, and sleep. I mean, I don't want to give the, give the book away, but basically, I mean, you don't need to go out. It, it, IR sauna works, red light therapy works, cold plunges work. I mean, not comfortable for for the few minutes that you're in there. All that That's stuff sure. works. But at the end of the day, what we're trying to do with the, the process of post-workout recovery is accelerate the return to homeostasis, the normal functioning of the body. And the more the quicker we can do that, and we can do it through nutrition, hydration, and sleep, Primary factors, the better we can train the next day. I mean, the one methodology is, and the one thing I want trainers to think about is as soon as we finish working out today, like I did a workout, early morning workout, and as soon as I finished my workout at 7, 7 15 a.m., my next training session started, right? So I'm going to go, I did a weight workout today with kettlebells and body weight, I did TRX and kettlebells. So now I'm in the recovery process because tomorrow morning I'm going to go for about maybe a, an eight to 10 kilometer mountain bike ride. That's not super long, but I'm going to do it, knock it out in the morning before work. So now I'm in the process of preparing for the next workout. And if you're a trainer or a coach, you need to get in that mindset for your clients about, okay, as we finish this workout, what are you doing to prepare for the next workout? And that's what the book tries to explain is how to apply that process.
1: I love it. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to the NASM CPT podcast. My name is Rick Ritchie, and I have my guest, P. McCall, that's here with us today talking about recovery. And uh, I'm, I'm going to just shout out my buddy Jordan, who used to train at my gym before he moved to California and broke my heart because he was such a good, uh, good, important piece, crucial piece to the gym that we had there. And one of my favorite things that Jordan used to say to his clients when they were taken off, you know, the workout was over, they changed clothes. They'd be like, all right, Jordan, I'll see you later. And Jordan would go, remember, now is the most important part of your workout. And I was like, dude, that is the best that's the best statement that you can make because it's not about as much or totally what you do in the workout. The workout itself doesn't give you the results. As you mentioned, the recovery from the workout is where those results come. So it was a powerful thing that he said, and there was such simplicity in his statement that, you know, now is now the workout really begins. Now is where the benefits really come. So taking those uh, taking the time to hydrate and to to eat and to to get the appropriate amounts of sleep as much as possible, but then there's all the other recovery things, the ones that are sexy, the ones that uh, that you can bond around the the uh, the uh, the tortures that people put themselves through so that they can bond, whether that is going into a cold plunge or doing any other types of recoveries, I want I want to kind of talk about the highlight reel of what you found in your work. So yes, hydration, nutrition, and sleep, uh, top tier versions for recovery. And then there are dozens of other things that that fall underneath that. Let's Let's start hacking away at some of those.
0: Well, it's interesting to say that because you know you, you and I are not researchers. We're practitioners, right? I don't spend that's time right. in the lab. I don't wear a lab a white lab coat, and that's why. I mean, honestly, Rick, that's why I did the uh, when I when I did my master's degree. That's why I did the NASM master's degree program is because I wanted to apply the information. I didn't necessarily want to research it. I wanted to apply it. So when I was going through the research to write this book, I, it was like I maybe when I when I finished all the research and compiled all the research for what's in Smarter Recovery, it was about this yeah. thick. I mean, if anybody remembers what a yellow pages is. Is about the size of two Manhattan yellow pages um, in terms oh, of I all the research it. I read. And, and what I did, so what we did in the book, and I say we, because of my editors, but we organized you know, we organize recovery into a couple of different components. We have hydration, we have tissue repair, we have nutrition, and then we have we have sleep. So it's like how you hydrate, how you fuel, and how you rest will determine how you train. And and you really you can look at high tech stuff and, and it works, right? You can look at high tech stuff. But not every client can afford $120 for a pair of compression pants. Not every client can afford a $200 massage gun or, or, you you know, massage therapy gun. Not every client can afford to go to an IR sauna on a regular basis. So what I wanted to do in here was kind of go through the science of what happens to the body during exercise, how we recover, and then talk about some of the different, you know, some of the basic strategies that we can apply. I mean, obviously some clients have more resources, boom, by all means they can do different things. But for our, many of our clients who just paying for a trainer is an extravagance, we can help them right. recover better and get better results just by coaching them a little bit on nutrition, hydration, and rest. Nice. And that that seems to be the, the top
1: three for you. So if you were to, to triage everything and say, all right, what are we really going to focus on, then you, you would say those top three, hydration, uh, nutrition, and rest?
0: Yeah, and there's also tissue repair, right? I mean, you also have to add in tissue repair. Because that's where you mentioned foam rolling at the beginning, but we need to do something to promote, you know, tissue repair, foam rolling, massage gun therapy, massage therapy are all, even just like mobility, as you've also referenced, mobility workouts is really, is as I look at mobility workouts as a form of tissue repair, because what you're doing is you're just moving the body through the different planes of motion. And so what, it, and and it, this just comes down to the science of periodization, right? I mean, for for new personal trainers, when I first learned about periodization, it was like, Whoa, wait, there's a hmm. whole science for how we apply stress. And we have two different ways we can apply periodization, right? And I'm going to use the, the, the United States NFL, the, the National Football League. We know the NFL st- plays from September to about January. And so if you're a strength coach helping, you know, you've worked with NBA players, you've worked with NFL players, you know, you periodize, you, you, you structure the workouts so they have the highest level of stress prior to the season. Then there's a little backing off period to let them rest. And then they go into the season where you now use exercise and recovery strategies to mitigate the stress of of playing the games. And so I look at it, I've always looked at it Rick for years is if if elite athletes making millions of dollars playing a sport, do these processes to be the best on the field, why not share them with our clients? Why not periodize clients routines? Why not? Whether you're doing linear, as I was referencing with the NFL or undulating and undulating periodization means I have two or three hard workouts a week, two or three easy workouts a week. And maybe two or three moderate intensity workouts a week now obviously they're not nine days a week and so it all becomes a balance (laughs) in there but it really is it just it's when you're young and this is a message to if you're a brand new personal trainer and you've been working out and you love crushing it not every client wants that not every client wants to go to a point of soreness you can have one or two hard workouts a week but not every workout needs to be hard i mean when was it i mean as you started learning this stuff rick how did you apply that concept with your clients? I mean, in terms of like looking at at mitigating their stress load. Uh, It's cool. I, I feel like I'm
1: continually learning about things, which is the greatest part about being a practitioner is that you go through and you try to figure out more. And then as I learn more, I have an outlet to share it. Right. So I just recently did an episode on cluster sets and Hmm. uh, I've been incorporating cluster sets, which is, you know, take what you could do for, you know, uh, let's say like five to six reps max and do it one to two, but take a much shorter break and then kind of amass the same amount of volume, but you're only doing one to two repetitions and you're doing it for the same amount of sets. So if you're usually doing like four sets of 10, then you might do 20 sets of two with much shorter rest in there. It's For me, it's fun. And I remember my client, one of my clients looked at me and she goes, normally, if you pushed me to do five or six reps with this weight, I would hate it. But doing one to two reps, I actually feel really strong while doing it. And so adding in cluster sets, working up strength, building and trying to equate volume, these are all kind of interesting components uh, or, or versions of programming that you get to add in. And so... As we kind of go through the OPT model, are there ways where you can focus on stability, strength, and power, undulate that, and cycle that uh, linearly and try to figure out which ones that you like and which ones work for your clients? Because we want outcomes, but we also want people to do it, right? And so if you're incorporating programming that your clients don't enjoy, then you're probably not going to get very far with that client. So doing something they both like and something that, uh, has a track record of, of progress.
0: And, and that's just, it is it, like, it doesn't mean that we don't want to skip high intensity or we don't want to avoid high intensity exercise, but we just want to be right. smart about how we apply it. And if I know if you're my client, Rick, and I smash you today on a Monday, then I better give you a strategy for what you do tomorrow, where I want you to move tomorrow, but I don't want you pushing a lot of a load. Right. And I try to organize, I try to organize training. You know, my, my approach, you know, based on what I've read in the research, is to organize training based on like the, the force production. So how much force are you producing? And strength is is just force, general muscle force. Power is force over time. And so I organize into force production, metabolic conditioning, which could be cardio, and you can do high intensity metabolic conditioning, or you can do low to moderate. I mean, there's a huge benefit to steady state. And I know tight, you know, I know was it zone two steady state's been, you know, Andrew Huberman's been talking about that quite a bit. There's a benefit to doing a sixty to ninety minute steady state low intensity workout, right? You're getting the oxygen moving through the system. I mean, here's the thing, everything works, right? And and what what NASM do with the OPT model that's so so smart is they put it in a system, in a classifying system so that if you are taking a client through the OPT model, give them a max strength workout one day, but the next day should be a stabilization workout, right? Because stabilization is primarily body weight. Muscles are moving, but you're not applying any excessive load or any external force So you're moving the body the way it's designed to move. And that's the way I look at, that's the way I look at applying the OPT model. That's the way I applied it for years was we might do a max strength or power workout one day, but the next day is either going to be low intensity cardio for recovery, or going to be a body weight workout again, to move the body through the system. And then the next day after that might be a HIIT workout followed by a strength workout for a different part of the body. Right. And so there's a way to plug and play the different types of training by building and recovery. And that's the biggest thing about periodization that when you look at the science, if you go back and you read the Russian literature, or you go back and read the, I don't read Russian, I don't speak Russian. I if go I'm so impressed. <laughs> Yeah, you know, if you go back and you read the interpretation of the Russian literature, because the Russians were the ones, the Soviets, I should say the Soviets back in the sixties that developed the periodization because they're the ones that realized all exercise is stress on the body. And when you look at the interpretation of, of the Russian literature, everything was based around rest for the athlete. So it's like, okay, yes, we're gonna have a hard training day, but we need to allow our athletes rest. And what I found very striking, I think it was in super training and super training was, was uh, written by Mel Sif years ago. And if anybody oh, yeah. wants, if you want a PhD in, in, in training, pick up, find a copy of super training. Mel Sif passed maybe 20 years ago. Um, and what Mel Sif did was he went through the Russian literature from like Verkashansky, from Yedviv. And these were the scientists that really researched it to understand how the body adapts to exercise and what the soviets did and i gotta say soviets because it wasn't the russians what the soviet sports scientists did is they wanted athletes to come in at about 90 to 95 percent of max capacity right here in the united states we might push hard like if you have a mar- if you if you're training somebody for a marathon the week before the marathon the longest run they should do is maybe two or three miles maybe right because if they're resting if they're preparing for a marathon body stores the muscle store glycogen if you train hard the week before a marathon muscles are not going to have a chance to store through glycogen it can take 48 hours just to, to fully replace muscle glycogen in the body and that's really where the soviet literature was so important because the Soviets saw that hey if we let the athletes rest a little bit when they come into competition the start of the competition the adrenaline everything that that kind of get amped up for comp- competition that's going to push them harder. So that really is the mindset that I got into with clients is I'm going to push you hard, but I don't want to break you. I'm going to bend you, but I don't want to break you. And rest becomes a key in everything we do because even if you have somebody training for an elite athletic competition, their body needs, and also it's a mental rest, right? Because if you always push yourself, if you're always in fatigue, uh, there's a South African, uh, Tim Noakes. Tim Noakes writes about fatigue as, as an emotional state. You know if you're fatigued if you're if you're fatigued it affects your emotions and and that's going to affect your ability to train and compete so taking the required rest before hard training or hard competition really allows you to be in a much better mental state for anything hard that you might do and that's why you had a number of wall street traders come to you for recover because hey if i'm a wall street trader making you know eight nine figures a year i want to be in the sharpest i want to be in the best condition possible right
1: that's very true ladies and gentlemen Thanks for tuning in. This is the NASM CPT podcast. I'm Rick Ritchie and I've got my guest with me, Pete McCall. We're talking about recovery. And one of the things we're talking about is how to in ways periodize recovery, right? So we've got periodized personal training or periodized training, where you know the way that you do your resistance training, we periodize that. One of the things that's kind of cool about the OPT model is that you see The warm-ups and the cool-downs start to shift based on what level that you're in. So are you doing static stretching? Are you doing active? Are you doing dynamic? Same thing with the mobility work. Same thing with the cool-down. The foam rolling is even different depending on what it is that you're about to go and do or depending on what it is that you just did. And so what we need to talk about even more is to make sure that we understand that you know the importance of continued hydration and i know that you guys watch me that uh, on youtube sometimes and it's not water that i have in this mug it is booze no it's it's coffee <laughs> i'm always having i'm always having coffee or, and it's noon in new york city when we record this and uh, and i've got coffee with me and one of the things that's important to me is that i look at it and make sure listen i agree that coffee is mostly water But water is also just water, and that's something that should be taken into account as well, especially as I start to – and I also like to periodize my coffee. Some people think that's nuts, but I try to go at least one day a week without having any coffee so that I'm not too addicted to receiving that hit. Uh, And that I can also manage my own versions of the stresses that come to me without having to rely. And those stresses sometimes are just sleep. I get sleepy and find other ways besides drinking coffee in order to manage that. This is one of those things where I try to overcome stresses in different ways and not always rely on the same thing. Now, that's not necessarily recovery, but it is a mindset that leads you into making decisions That yes, I think there's something to be said for consistency. And I don't care what you do, if you're consistent, you're going to see progress in your training. But you need to also incorporate the consistency into your recovery, making sure that you're always eating well, making sure that you're getting enough sleep, making sure that you're hydrating, and then there are some other things that start to happen within the body. We start to see the as we age, in particular, a lack of mobility taking place. So looking at As as Pete mentioned, taking care of our tissues, and that could be through foam rolling, could be through massage, it's through mobility work. Because doing you know lifting weights and doing cardio is all well and good. As you know, I'm very interested in that. But as we start to get locked down and we lose mobility, the loss in mobility will oftentimes lead to a loss of movement, uh, a lack of desire to get up and move as much, and so. Wanting to express uh, the importance of our tissue itself, not just beating up on it, but also recovering from the damages that we do to it, not just through nutrition, not just through sleep and not just through um, uh, hydration but taking care of our tissues and our mobility, working through our end ranges of motion, seeing if we can increase the end ranges of motion if it's nowhere near the the norms and the norms charts for our joint ranges of motion. We need to be aware of that. We got to take that into account. Uh, but there are a lot of things out there in the world, man, that that as we start to see, there are people that have, and, and <laughs> Pete, I don't know if you've reviewed any of these things. There are people that put, clamp light bulbs in their nose. There are people that put blue tie, a blue dye on their tongue. There are people that have all of these really interesting hacks hmm. to try to optimize the body. And when you really look at what it is that truly works, then, you know, those, those things can, can help. But there are not a lot of researchers out there doing research on things that nobody does. But what we know works are the basics. And the problem is we want to obfuscate the basics by doing something that's trendy and interesting and kind of turns uh, lifts an eyebrow. And people are, oh, what are they doing over there? That's new and novel. And I want to try that. And people will do anything to keep from sleeping for seven hours instead of five (laughs)
0: Well, so. you're, you're talking about, you're talking about like hydration, right? And I'm going I'm to bring up because hydration is critical. And, and what, what what people have to realize is that we know that blood blood's about 70% water. And, and, you know, I'm a huge coffee fan too. And I try to cycle off my coffee around noon, one o'clock oh, yeah. so I don't, you know, stay out too late because sleep is, is so That's critical. Right. But when we look at the layers of tissue, when we look at, and you're you know, I know you're a massage therapist and we understand that these are layers of tissue here. The more hydrated we are, the easier these layers slide across one another. If we let clients get dehydrated, that tissue becomes like sandpaper, and it doesn't just it doesn't move as well. It's that's one key thing about hydration. And you're talking about hacks, right? I don't know if people have heard about pickle juice or beet juice, right? And years ago, when I was playing competitive rugby, you know, 15 years ago in the Boston area, one of my teammates would drink pickle juice when it was really hot, and he had heard about it. Well, there's actually been research, actually, and I, I, I refer to it in the book. There's actually been research that pickle juice and beet juice. Have higher salinity, have more salt in them, and that salt and it's like salt is um, salt helps your tissue absorb water easier. Salt, salts one of those electrolytes, like it's magnesium, potassium, yeah. sodium, are all electrolytes, and what they do is help. They help. They help water pass through tissue membrane easier. So if you are drinking pickle juice or beet juice, there is efficacy in that. So to your point, there are a lot of hacks out there that is nonsense, complete utter nonsense, and in light bulbs, whatever, forget that. Don't do that. If you want, if you if you want to help your clients recover better, get them to go to sleep half hour earlier. Get them to go to sleep an hour earlier. And one of the big things I started doing maybe five, seven years ago was people I was working with, clients, your classes I was teaching Thursday, Friday, Saturday night. I'd always say, all right, what are your plans tonight? Because Thursday, Friday, Saturday night are the most social nights, right? You might go out Thursday night, you might have tickets somewhere Friday night, you might have go to, to a big party on Saturday night. Well, if you're my client, Rick, and you have, and you're going to go to a big concert, if you're going to see uh, Taylor Swift, if you're taking one of your daughters to go see Taylor Swift on a Saturday night, I know you're going to be out late. I know you might have a cocktail or two, right? So what I'm going to do is I'm not going to crush you that day in training. If you tell me that you're taking your daughter to see Taylor Swift, I'm going to give you a good workout, but I'm not going to crush you because I know your sleep is you're going to get to bed later than normal. You might have an extra drink or two, which is going to disrupt your ability to recover. And I'm going to coach you like, hey, we're going to do a good workout today, but I'm not going to go hard. Now, if you said, I said, hey, Rick, what are you doing tonight? You said I don't really have any plans, so I think we're going to order in some food and maybe just Netflix. Well, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to up, I'm going to up Mad. the intensity a little bit, yeah. right? I'm a, I know because it's like, hey, if all you going to do is 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 just Netflix and chill, man, I know you can get to bed earlier. And I'm going to coach you at the end of the workout. Hey, I'm up, I push you a little harder today. I want you to make sure you hydrate, make sure you fuel, make sure you have some recovery drink, recovery protein. And, and I want you to make sure you get to bed a little bit earlier tonight so you get that sleep that you need. That, and I want to say to all the new trainers out there, that is how you differentiate yourself between being a trainer and a coach, right? When you start giving your clients that advice for how yeah. to mitigate stress the next day and for saying, hey, I'm not telling you not to go out. Go out, have fun. Like I went out, I, I was out with some friends at a nightclub on Saturday night in LA. Not my usual thing, right? I'm 50 something years old. I don't usually hang out in nightclubs, but this was a cool event and, and went to it with some friends. And so what I did on Saturday, I did a light training day because I knew my sleep would be disrupted. And yesterday I scheduled, I planned for a walk. And, and that way, so I had a lower intensity training day, stayed up later than normal on Saturday night and had a walk yesterday. So I didn't stop activity. I didn't skip a workout. I just mitigated my stress around the disruption in my lifestyle. And that's something that as trainers, as personal trainers, that is an extra step. That's what we should be doing with our clients because we want to give that advice to our clients so they achieve their optimal health. I mean you and i have been studying this for 20 years so we know how to we know how to hack our health and we know the strategies that we need to apply and all we're trying to do is share it with other people out there
1: i like that i I like one of the other things that you would brought up which is um disruptors so what are some of the disruptors yeah i know you had mentioned alcohol and and i agree i also think the price of a taylor swift ticket is a disruptor so let's just go with that uh but (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but disruptors such as alcohol. And I've actually had some neuroscientists on the show in the past, and they talk about that you can be asleep with alcohol. And some people are like, oh, I drink because that helps me go to sleep. And they said there's a difference between a lack of consciousness and sleeping and there are different phases of sleeping and that alcohol is a huge disruptor of sleep so even though it may help you fall asleep it does not help you sleep better so i have my aura ring i've got my apple watch and from time to time when i drink i will look the next day and see what my sleep was like i generally get zero amount of deep sleep if i had a drink the night before Uh, And and I'm not even talking about you know a you know couple drinks. I'm talking about if I've had a drink, a glass of wine, then I get zero deep sleep registered on my biofeedback devices. So alcohol for me, and that's not for everybody. Sometimes people have to drink a little bit more before they get that type of disruption. But it is not an assist. They Mm -hmm. it comes across as one, but it is not an assist. It's actually a disruptor, and because you're lack of consciousness, because you are not awake, it doesn't actually mean that you're sleeping. I'm sure there are other disruptors to, to, you know, our recovery.
0: No, you hit the nail on the head, Rick. And, and, and look, in my early twenties, when I played competitive rugby, trust me, I used alcohol and weed quite a bit to, uh, to get to sleep or, or to, to pass out a deal. You know, I play, I played in the front row of, of a rugby scrum where you came in, you smashed shoulders Ouch. into the other, other people. And and yeah, I mean, alcohol was theoretically part of, you know, drink after, after the matches, but I haven't had a drink in 15 years and and I can't, I look around at sometimes at people my age and I would never, if you like drinking, drink, you know, but, but understand that one of the worst things that you can do for your body throughout the aging process is consume excessive alcohol, maybe a glass a day. Great. If you want to follow those studies about the benefits of red line, I'm not, who am I to say, to say that, you know, if you can do it responsibly, but I look at alcohol as one of the major disruptors that we don't need i mean alcohol okay. changes your body Very it's true. extra sugar but other disruptors are stress at work one of the things i, I got in the habit of asking my clients when it would take stress, somebody on yeah. as a new client would be tell me your busiest times a year when's your budget planning season when i worked in washington dc the the federal the oh, federal yeah. government's on an october one fiscal year so in september everybody works for the federal government's trying to spend as much money as possible so to get that money in the next budget and then the budget's prepared usually in, in old in the regular times before just continuing resolution bs that's a whole nother podcast. Altogether. <laughs> but but in, the, in the previous times, you know, you would have the budget season if for the federal government would be between like the end of March and May. That's when Congress would be setting the budget for the next year. So I knew my clients' schedules at work when they're, they're, they would have higher stress levels. Like if I were working with the CEO, I'd say, all right, when's your annual shareholder meeting? When are your board meetings? Because those are going to be higher levels of stress. So what am I going to do during those periods? I'm going to back off my exercise intensity. Right. If I'm working with a mother with four kids and here we are, we're recording this in November. If I'm working with a mother with four kids, all of them in school, guess what's going to be a stressful time of year between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Right. Because you have all the kids activities. Kids are in plays and everything. So I look at that for, for, you know, for a lot of people between Thanksgiving and Christmas or New Year's. That's about five, six weeks of just a lot of busyness. Right. And so I'm not going to push people that hard during that time of year. I'm going to back off. I'm going to allow them. It's like, look, enjoy the holiday season. And see, here's the thing. This is also a little, it's also a job security, right? So during the holiday season, I keep them active. I just reduce the intensity a little bit. I'd rather go with, hey, let's go 30-minute workouts. I know time is a factor right now. It's a very busy time of year. Let's go to 30-minute workouts. Let's keep you moving. And I want you to enjoy the holiday season. But trust me, I'll be here in January. When we get back to our regular schedule, now we can get back into the training program and I can start pushing harder. And if you gain a pound or two or whatever during the holiday season, guess what? That's just stored energy, right? Because we can't stress our bodies all the time. I always look at and I try to give people the idea that, that the holiday season is kind of our rest period, right? The NFL, and I use the NFL analogy earlier, the NFL usually finishes playing at the end of January. So that first month that you're off, if, if you're the New York Giants, you didn't qualify for the playoffs again, or the Washington Redskins, yep. or the Washington Commanders, my <laughs> team, if you didn't qualify for the playoffs again, your rest period starts in early February. Now, if you're on a better team, you're playing, playing in the playoffs, you're playing for championship, it's different. But I always look at what athletes do when they finish a competitive season is they take about two to four weeks off. They, they stay active, but they don't train because they're letting their body rest. And with my clients, with average people, I look at between Thanksgiving and, and New Year's, as our active rest and recovery system. And that can also be the energy storage phase, right? You might eat a little bit more, you gain a couple pounds, big deal. That's just stored energy, it just means in January, let's go, let's hit it hard and let's get back into the training methodology. So you're talking about disruptors. We have disruptors, there's alcohol, there's schedule, there's travel, right? You and I travel quite mm-hmm. a bit for work to speak and at events. You know, if we cross time right zones, right. time zones are disruptors, you know, what are the strategies for that? Like, you know, it used to be when I, when I traveled internationally, I would always plan that as an, I would do a, a push. I would do what's called an overreach for the week hard for the week before I traveled. because if I knew I was doing like a seven day trip to China, I would push hard the week or two before that. So that way, when I traveled, my body was recovering and I just, I would walk I would climb the stairs in my hotel and maybe do some mobility workouts in my hotel room. But that way, when I, when I was working overseas and I was doing a lot of international travel for a few years, that way, when I was working overseas, I didn't feel the need to push hard you know, I'm across 12 to 14. You've been in Asia enough, you know, what jumping that many yeah. time zones does to the body. Yeah, travel is no disruptor that you have to give your clients strategies. It doesn't mean you skip working out if you're traveling. It just means we have to work out at a different level of intensity to allow the body to recover.
1: Yeah, I got to be on. I love that because one of my clients who travels a lot for work. And so when we talk about travel, he always tells me is the first thing i do when i land is i go to the gym because the gym when i work out it seems to like reset everything where you know i've if i'm supposed to be asleep and i'm awake a good workout can help me be sleepy right <laughs> if if i'm supposed to to be asleep and i'm awake vice versa right like the, somehow that exercise helps to realign when you first land and so i gave it a try and and I agree with it. So that's one of the strategies that a client of mine shared with me that works for him, that I now do almost every time I travel, go to the gym, drop off my stuff in the room. I'm uh, sorry, go to the hotel, drop off my stuff in the room, and then head to the hotel gym and just try to break a little sweat uh, to, to reset everything. Uh, coming back from international travel is the worst for me. Going one direction and being messed up once. Is like I can I can adjust to it pretty well. It's a week or two later, or in some days, three or four days later on uh, a long international trip, and I come back. And I'm I can be messed up for days and possibly even weeks. So uh, with that being said, you know these disruptors that come in. So whether it's time, schedule, holidays, the 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 kids, and you know life and you know alcohol and things like that one of the biggest things that that you said is making a plan and i think really what what's important to do is anytime there's a roadblock it's trying to make a plan here's your detour plan for roadblocks and if you can see them coming you acknowledge them you know what tends to get in your way and then for us as a coach, I would say not even a trainer, as you distinguished those earlier, as a coach receive that information and then find what has been successful for them in the past, maybe provide some ideas that they can utilize that they might may, may find helpful, and then implement them in order to help people bypass, to get over the roadblocks, the things that are in the way. Um you know, because they can be a barrier, not just our recovery, but our function. And stress is a big component of what we need to recover from, whether or not that is a physical stress from the gym, or that is a psychosocial stress from living life and going to work and engaging in, in the environments that we're in. So I think you bring up some really good points that we should look at and take into consideration this is the nasmcpt podcast my name is rick richie and i've got my my special guest with me today pete mccall who's been on with us several times and this won't be the last time you hear from him i guarantee you because he's going to write another book in the next year or so uh and he's going to come back on the show to plug his books but while we're
0: there pete go ahead and plug your book again. <laughs> well, look, I, of course. I mean, look guys, you spend the time writing a book. You want to make sure people know about it. So, and That's especially right. because this is such an important topic and, and look, this is something I wish I had known as a, when I was starting out my personal training career, because I know there are clients that, that I overstress. I know there are clients where I probably had them trained too hard and it, it disrupted them and it didn't allow them to get the results they wanted because they didn't have the recovery. And it really is a, a mindset of if we are a personal trainer, if we are a fitness professional, we need to think about the whole picture and not just about what we're doing this day and be able to plan Mm -hmm. for the big, for the big, uh, for the long term. And that really is that mindset, right? It's going that shifting from that personal trainer to that coach. And I know that NASM has a number of resources out there. So, you know, what resources does NASM have that helps, you know, NASM certified personal trainers understand more about the process of recovery.
1: Uh, I love that. So, especially in the performance enhancement, uh, content. So the we've, we've got entire um, sections on uh, recovery, um, regeneration, uh, the things that we do in order to help our tissue and our body, our physiology recover. We have the certified nutrition specialist that uh, is very helpful for nutrition. We've got sports nutrition specialist that helps with people that are working with active populations uh, and what that nutrition looks like when you're working with people who are exercising. And then we have behavior change and wellness coaching, which are all ways that we focus on helping people change the way that they see things, the way that they interact and perceive with their environment and what they're used to, and some things that they may need to change or consider changing that would help them reach goals, and all of that is a component, uh, are components that help people with their process, uh, and that's one of the things I love about the company so much is that they just, you know, they they don't just say this is what you need to know, but they also. Put out information. They want to get information from people. Right. And one of the big things that that I love about them is that they don't just say that we used to, NASM used to just be like, this is what I think everybody needs to know. I'm going to tell you what you need to know. And now they put out information like surveys all the time. So if you get a survey from NASM, please, please do the survey, which basically allows you to tell us what it is that you want to know about. And then NASM goes out and finds subject matter experts to provide that content uh, for which you have been, uh, Pete, on several occasions, a subject matter expert for things that people have said, I want to learn more about this. So uh, we and, and then we pulled you in on the recovery content as well. So uh, you know, you've you've proven yourself over and over, so we appreciate you and what you've done. I appreciate it. Here's
0: a little secret for people out there: if you look to get into creating content, and become a writer. It, there's a lot of recycling that goes on, right? So some of the, some of the research that that you know I read through for for the NASM recovery course, I you know I put in the book, you know, because it's like, hey, I got paid to do, I did that product, I did that project, I helped NASM create that product. Well, the science is the science, right? And and it's one thing to contextualize it for the OPT model and how they apply the OPT model. But you know, when I put it in in smarter recovery, it's just talking about how to apply it. You know how to apply it overall. Now, there's one thing you left off, Rick, that I think one of, one of my favorite NASM certifications. I went through it last year. Is the NASM stretch coach, and that's one thing that I oh, recommend yeah. for a lot of personal trainers that that I've worked with over the years. Because that's one thing I used to have a lot of clients in DC that would travel internationally, and they'd get back from an international trip, and we'd go right to the table, and I'd put them through a series of assisted stretches that you and I taught the NASM neuromuscular stretching at one point years ago. So I use that as a client and it's like, if if people wanna really understand tissue and understand how to promote tissue repair, yes, the PES has great information. Yes, nutrition has great information, but also stretch coach, the, the updated stretch coach, man, it goes deep into the fascia and deep into the different substructures. Right. And really if anybody, I mean, look, th- there's, there's your formula right there. If you're an NASM certified personal trainer, and you want to really nail this, this, this understanding and nail the science for your clients, PES nutrition and the, the stretch coach, those are, those will give you a broad, I mean, they had they slightly different products. I went through the integrated flexibility specialist 20 years ago, created by NASM. Like I said, you know, Rick and I taught, you know, taught a stretching course. I went through the uh, you know nutrition when I went through the NASM um, graduate degree program. We covered nutrition. I got the PES, the Performance and Enhancement Specialist, as part of that. So really, a lot of I mean, I have to be honest. A lot is you know, NASM really is. You can read you know, as you go through the book. You'll read about how it's just applied in a different format, and that's really one thing that I've really appreciate about my relationship with the organization over the years. Is it's allowed me to really grow and develop as a coach and a trainer, as an educator. And one of the things that you and I both love is sharing that with other people, man. And and that's why I know we gotta wrap up here soon. But dude, I can't wait. I mean, just just for listeners, I, I'll be flying cross country here and hopefully see Rick live in another few days and be able to hang out and uh have some yeah, of this in person. Sorry we won't be able to let you in on it, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> at least, at least you get a part of it today. Yeah,
1: man, we'll uh we'll meet up at the strong New York event here in New York City at the Glasshouse, and I'm looking forward to that. And uh visit with our friend uh kenny santucci who's put together this wonderful event so i'm looking forward to seeing you there uh with that said thank you for the the shout out to me and to nasm and as we start to wrap this up um why don't you let everybody know where they can find this book
0: if they want to purchase it uh hey, do you, anywhere books are sold i mean you go to amazon you go to uh, it's through human kinetics so you can go to humankinetics.com I also have a book called Ageless Intensity, which is how high-intensity exercise mitigates the effects of aging, and I also wrote a book called Smarter Workouts. Um, I'm actually getting ready to have to call my editor later today and have a conversation with her about the next uh, the next edition for that and what, what we're going to put in the next edition for that, but all those can be bought on Amazon, and you can follow me. I'm at Pete, uh, Pete MC underscore fitness. That's Pete MC underscore fitness on Instagram. And I haven't posted a lot of fitness content on there just because I have a full-time job now as a director of education for a health club company. And that really has been the primary focus. I really haven't had – once I got done with this book, I kind of put the content development phase. I I put a pause on the podcast right now because I'm really focused on really trying to help the personal trainers in the health club company I'm working for really learn how to – learn this information for themselves and, more importantly, learn how to apply it so they can help our members really improve their lives through exercise. So, yeah, you can reach – you can find the books on amazon you can look for my name on amazon and find everything i've written and you can uh, follow on instagram pete mc underscore fitness and uh, i will get back in 2024 i am putting out i'm developing some plans right now to start putting out more content i'm gonna reboot all about fitness on youtube i'm gonna start Good. doing more youtube content i'm, I'm putting a um, i'm gonna be filming actually what i'll be doing rick i'll share this with you i'm putting together a budget i have a number of workouts in here i have a number of workouts in ages intensity and i have a number of workouts in smarter workouts so I'll be filming all those soon. I'll be putting those up on YouTube. So that way you not only can read about the workouts in the book or read about the strategies in the book, but I'll be putting them up on the All About Fitness YouTube channel so people can uh, learn it from there. And I think I have an interview with you on that YouTube channel. I have, a, I have interviews with a number of people on that YouTube channel as well that's up there right now. So if you want more information or, or hear what I've done on All About Fitness, you can go to All About Fitness on YouTube, All About Fitness podcast, sorry, All About Fitness podcast on YouTube and get the information there. It's, it's going to live there for, for the time being. Good stuff.
1: Thank you, Pete McCall. I appreciate it. Glad you're here with us. Ladies and gentlemen, if you made it to the end of the podcast, I want to say thank you too. And also ask a favor. Can you like, subscribe and share the podcast with your fitness friends and family and go leave us a review if you don't mind. It really does help. The, the podcast, all of those things, likes and reviews and shares and all of that stuff. So if you don't mind doing that, that's very helpful for us. Also, if you want to reach out to me, you can hit me up at dr.rickrichie on Instagram and threads, or you can email me rick.richie at nasm.org. Special shout out to my guest today, Pete McCall. Y'all, thanks for listening. Y'all keep inspiring people to fitness. This has been the NASM CPT Podcast.